New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Glenn Sabera. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today I'm hosting Steve McIntosh. He's the author of Evolution's Purpose, an integral interpretation of the scientific story of our origins, and he's also a co-founder of the new think tank, the Institute for Cultural Evolution. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Glenn. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Steve, I'd like to start off today's conversation by first uh, packing apart what we mean when we're talking about evolution. Sure. Evolution is the universe's ceaseless process of becoming that's been unfolding for the last 13.7 billion years since the emergence of time and space and matter and energy with the Big Bang. And there, there are really three domains or, or, or kinds of evolution. And there's the cosmological evolution of stars and planets and atoms and molecules. There's the biological evolution of life. And there's the cultural evolution of human consciousness, psychosocial evolution. And all three of these forms of evolution are authentic in that they build on each other, that they're connected, even though they're each distinct and cannot be conflated or reduced to each other. All forms of evolution are tied together by this structural sequence of emergence, right? Emergence is a new scientific understanding of how something more keeps coming from something less. Right? We begin with the isolated atoms of hydrogen, a little bit of helium, and gradually, over the course of 13 billion years, the universe becomes more complex. But it also becomes more conscious. That is, purpose emerges within evolution, first with the uh, first-order purposes of life to survive and reproduce, and then with the uh, uh, more free, self-conscious purposes of humanity to improve the human condition on, on every front. And really, from the beginning, humans have been gradually improving their conditions through this process of cultural evolution, even though some of these cultural improvements themselves can lead to new threats and new pathologies that require further cultural evolution for their amelioration. But coming to understand that we live in human history, which is an authentic form of evolution, which is building on these previous types of evolution, but which exhibits a new kind of freedom and a new opportunity to make the world a better place. We can see that definitely in science, the first stage of purpose that you're talking about, to survive, reproduce. And then what is it specifically when we move into philosophy, spirituality, when we talk about this second stage purpose? Right. Well, what characterizes human purposes is that humans have not only purposes, not only the purpose to survive and reproduce like animals, but we have purposes for our purposes. We have world-changing purposes, compassionate purposes that can take more than a lifetime to fulfill. And what animates our purposes to make the world a better place are that which we find to be beautiful, true, and good, right? I mean, making things better is really about beauty, truth, and goodness. But throughout history, humans have improved their conditions most dramatically by improving their definition of improvement itself, by improving that which is defined as beautiful, true, or good. 
So for example, we can see in the evolution of the definition of goodness, right? Those who were worthy of moral consideration, for example, an aspect of goodness has improved from tribal-centric to ethnocentric to nationalistic and now to increasingly world-centric conceptions of those worthy of moral considerations. Indeed, all sentient beings deserve our moral consideration. And that's an example of one line of development in this uh, spectrum of values, which we identify as human evolution. I could add that truth also evolves, you know, from a kind of a magical understanding of the world to a mythical understanding, then a kind of a scientific rational, and now to increasingly holistic understandings of what's true. And uh, this has made the world a better place in, in significant ways. And our, our relationship to the primary values of truth, beauty, and goodness evolve? Is it easy? Is it a bunch of people getting together and said, let's move on to the next stage? What's that process like? No, there's a structural pattern that you can find throughout all forms of evolution, but it's particularly dramatically expressed in this realm of human consciousness and culture. The psychosocial evolution of humanity is characterized by a pattern which is identified in my book, Evolution's Purpose, as the dialectic of progress and pathology. And what that means is as we're trying to make the world a better place, we're trying to improve conditions based on the problematic life conditions we encounter in our time in history. And as we improve that set of conditions, we then awaken to a a different or higher set of conditions or higher definition of improvement. And this creates this uh, dialectical pattern within history where improvements are closely woven together with pathologies. And that's why it's often tempting to try to reject earlier forms of history in their entirety because the evolutionary scaffolding that accompanied those stages of culture are closely woven together with the timeless evolutionary achievements of those earlier stages of culture that we want to carry forward. So we see, for example, this rediscovery within progressive culture of the beauty and wisdom of tribal culture, right? Like tribal aesthetics, tribal wisdom, uh, tribal practices are uh, informing and being kind of carried forward into much of progressive culture. Now, a new opportunity that's arising on the horizon of history to try to make the world a better place, to improve our definition of improvement, is to try to reach back and do the same with all previous forms of culture, not just tribal culture, but traditional culture, you know, and modernist culture. And, you know, the achievements of our ancestors can be carefully teased apart from their pathologies and their shortcomings. And this offers, you know, a new way forward into a a more inclusive and compassionate form of culture. And it depends uh, upon what part of the conversation we want to have at any time. We could look at the world today and say, no, it hasn't evolved. It's not going that way. But we also recognize, too, that this is a part of the evolution. And what's happening in the world now is indeed an involved place. And what we can see is part of the pathology that we're then looking at resolving in order to move to the next phase. Yes. In other words, being able to understand history more completely as a form of evolution and know that evolution is happening within us, that we can feel not only our, the, the biological urges of our ancestors, but we're drawn to higher expressions of the beautiful, the true, and the good through our own spiritual aspirations. And indeed, we become more evolved and we make the world more evolved when we both experience and create these values, these values that define um, what's better which is really what cultural evolution is all about. 
At the individual level, we feel it when we wake up in the morning, when we know what we're going to do today and we're looking forward to it. Sure. And so we're saying that this is the spiritual leg of what we're looking at with uh, spirituality, philosophy, and science forming an understanding of how we're experiencing our life. Sure. This evolutionary impulse, as it's known within integral philosophy, is in a sense a practice that by getting in touch with the impulse of evolution that's within us, you know, our higher aspirations, this can help uh, motivate us. It can supercharge our ability to make the world a better place when we understand that evolution's purposes, in a sense, are our purposes. Our purposes are its purposes, and, and there's a gravity of the beautiful, the true, and the good, which is drawing us forward into uh, more complete states. There's an example in your book that you draw reference to in the development of Japan as a country of moving forward in these states by also including where it came from in their traditional culture. Sure. When we look at the emergence of what's defined within integral philosophy as the modernist worldview, right, the modernity of the developed world, we can see that it originally emerged in the Enlightenment in Europe and the United States, and that these European countries, in a sense, developed you know, modernism and brought it forward into the world for both good and bad. And we can see there are parts in the world that are struggling with modernity. They want its benefits, but they certainly don't want its pathologies. And one of the success stories, of course, in the development of a non-Western form of homegrown modernism is Japan. The Japanese are among the first non-Westerners to effectively move beyond a traditional form of culture and effectively embrace you know, a modernist form of culture and a modernist economy and the freedoms and democracy that goes with that. And despite, obviously, the horrific problems created by the militarism of World War II, Japan continues to be a prosperous, modernist country. And while they've certainly adapted many of the um, you know, discoveries and achievements of the West, their modernism is not identical with Western modernism. And when we analyze that and ask why has Japan been successful where other countries that have tried to move successfully into a modernist frame have been uh, you know, not as successful, is we can begin to see this pattern of cultural evolution where successful levels depend upon the underlying success of previous levels. So Japan had an extremely successful form of traditional culture, right? They were never colonized, and they had over 200 years of self-imposed isolation where their culture became extremely refined. You know, and so successful forms of traditional culture that gave solidarity to the Japanese people, that inculcated in them a sense of duty and a sense of fair play that are necessary prerequisites for the functionality of a modernist economy. And so we can see this pattern in history that it's where traditional forms of culture are most successful that modernism can flourish and thrive. And it's indeed in the places where modernism is most successful that we see an emergence of a postmodern culture that transcends modernism. So if we want to make the world more functional, if we want to achieve cultural evolution in a sustainable way, we can recognize that healthy forms of traditionalism really form an important foundation. And that's a lesson that, uh, you know, is not fully uh, appreciated at this time. It seems like this evolution has a, a universal trajectory to it. And yet the particulars of where and how a particular culture is going to evolve is going to look different at, at, at various locations around the planet. Sure. And indeed, as we talk about cultural evolution, we're, we're not describing a unilinear form of advance. This is a highly nuanced philosophical description. Evolution is not a simple upward escalator to the good. You know, stagnation, regression are always possible. And with every new emergence, with every new advance, new and in a sense more threatening problems emerge. And this is why we have to keep moving forward. 
right? We can't sort of stagnate or pretend as though globalized modernism is somehow the end of history. We need to continue to improve conditions. And part of our opportunities for improvement are defined by the evolutionary scaffolding or the pathologies that have been a necessary part of these stages of history, you know, at the time of their original emergence, but are now holding us back. So, you know, prejudices or immaturities of different stages of cultural development, being able to prune those away, being able to carefully tease those apart without losing the contributions, the evolutionary achievements of these earlier levels, that is the method of understanding that this evolutionary perspective brings. And this understanding of the evolutionary development has its real-world application in your new think tank, the Institute for Cultural Evolution. What are some of the conversations and the real-world applications out of the headlines of the newspapers that you're talking about? Sure. Well, much of the political progress that we need to make as a nation and indeed a world is in many ways thwarted by a culture war, by polarities that exist between these stages of history as they continue to exist today, right? The traditional worldview, the modernist worldview, the postmodern worldview. These are real historical structures that impact politics and which can create a kind of a gridlock, which we see, you know, in, in American politics today in many ways, that prevents the formation of the necessary agreements that are required to move forward on important issues. And so this Institute for Cultural Evolution, which we're founding now, this think tank, is forming to work specifically on the culture war issues by bringing this new understanding of cultural evolution to help uh, overcome some of the polarities that are preventing progress. But we want to move beyond antithesis to a kind of a synthesis. And this isn't simply a, a kind of a centrist coming together, right? Centrist politics have failed. We're trying something different. We're trying to articulate what it means to transcend postmodernism itself by developing a more inclusive perspective that can bring the culture together by moving everyone forward in history. I've been talking with Steve McIntosh. If you'd like to learn more about his work, you can visit his website, stevemackintosh.com, M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. I'm Glenn Sambera. You've been listening to New Dimensions Cafe. Please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.